Please take your Bibles and turn with me again to the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 10 is where we will find ourselves this morning as we began last week to consider this fourth and final vision that the Lord gave to Daniel, the prophet, this one who had been in exile for some seven decades. And uh, God gave him these visions concerning his people, concerning the kingdom of God, concerning the rule of the nations, and gave them to him so that he might have understanding and hope for the future, and we can have the same when we see what God has said through Daniel to us in his word. We're going to read Daniel chapter 10 as well as the first verse of chapter 11 as we consider the next section this morning. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belshazzar, and the message was true and one of great conflict, but he understood the message and had an understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, had been mourning for three entire weeks. I did not eat any tasty food, nor did meat or wine enter my mouth, nor did I use any ointment at all until the entire three weeks were completed. On the 24th day of the first month, while I was by the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, there was a certain man dressed in linen, whose waist was girded with a belt of pure gold of Euphaz. His body also was like beryl, his face had the appearance of lightning, his eyes were like flaming torches, his arms and feet like the gleam of polished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a tumult. Now I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, while the men who were with me did not see the vision. Nevertheless, a great dread fell on them, and they ran away to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision. Yet no strength was left in me, for my natural color turned to a deathly pallor, and I retained no strength. But I heard the sound of his words, and as soon as I heard the sound of his words, I fell into a deep sleep on my face my face to the ground. Then behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. He said to me, O Daniel, man of high esteem, understand the words that I'm about to tell you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Do not be afraid, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart on understanding this and on humbling yourself before your God, your words were heard. And I've come in response to your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me for 21 days. Then behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. For I had been left there with the kings of Persia. Now I've come to give you an understanding of what will happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision pertains to the days yet future. When he had spoken to me according to these words... I turned my face toward the ground and became speechless. And behold, one who resembled a human being was touching my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke and said to him who was standing before me, Oh, my Lord, as a result of the vision, anguish has come upon me and I have retained no strength. For how can such a servant of my Lord talk with such as my Lord? As for me, there remains just now no strength in me, nor has any breath been left in me. In me. Then this one with human appearance touched me again and strengthened me. He said, O man of high esteem, do not be afraid. Peace be with you. Take courage and be courageous. Now, as soon as he spoke to me, 
I received strength and said, May my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, Do you understand why I came to you? But I shall now return to fight against the prince of Persia. So I am going forth, and behold, the prince of Greece is about to come. However, I will tell you what is inscribed in the writing of truth. Yet there is no one who stands firmly with me against these forces except Michael, your prince. In the first year of Darius the Mede, I arose to be an encouragement and a protection for him. Well, I think it's safe to say that in this vision, God has Daniel's attention. I hope that he has ours as well. This is a vision that spans the account of it anyway. Three chapters, as we looked at last time, chapters 10, 11, and 12. This is the fourth and final vision that Daniel receives in the second half of the book. It is the third that pertains directly to his people, Israel, as mentioned here. Chapter 8 had one of them, chapter 9 had one of them, and now chapter 10. The details about God's prediction of the future will come to us in chapter 11 and into chapter 12. But before these details are revealed, Daniel wants to make sure that we understand the significance and the power of just what it is that he is observing. How is it that this message came to Daniel? And by seeing the impact that this message had upon Daniel, we can understand just the weightiness of the message that's before us. We can understand the power of the God who is giving this message and the power of the God who is revealing these truths to Daniel. As Daniel observes this vision, his reaction demonstrates for us not only his humility before God, not only his place as lowly before God, even though he is highly esteemed, but also our own. We can see that we ourselves are also in need of this divine revelation that Daniel received and that he passed on as written down in the pages of Scripture. And we can also, as he did, pay attention to this great message that God has given about the future and what will take place. This is a powerful picture of what it means when we encounter those which are above us, those beings which are above us. It sets us in our place. In Psalm 8, David asked the question, what is man that you consider him? This chapter tells us something similar, which is that God is greater than we are. God's angelic creatures are more powerful and so powerful and so great and overwhelming as even to knock us down, even the most righteous among us, such as Daniel. And that we should humble ourselves before God and eagerly listen to what he has to say. Last time that we looked at this chapter, we began by looking at the introduction to the vision. And the background of this passage, of course, is that Daniel is in uh, Babylon, although at the moment he is, uh, he is in the city or he is on the Tigris River. He's been taken to Babylon. He has stayed through the transfer of power from the empire of the Babylonians to the empire, the Medo-Persian empire, which would ultimately become simply known as the Persian empire as the Persians came quickly to dominate uh, among the two peoples who had conquered Babylon in the first place. Daniel was taken there as one of the exiles from Judah. He was a righteous man, an uncompromising man, and one who had the unique privileges of being able to understand visions and dreams and also of receiving those visions and dreams from God as we have here in these chapters. Daniel 
was concerned about something he had been mourning for three entire weeks. He didn't eat certain foods. He didn't eat meat. He didn't drink wine during this time. He didn't use any ointment at all. He was in a state of mourning before God and, as we find here, prayer, asking God to help and asking God for understanding. Very likely this would have come on the basis of the fact that Israel, uh, Judah in particular, had returned uh, not long before this to the land of Israel, would have been able to start rebuilding the temple under the decree of Cyrus, and yet would have faced opposition, as detailed in the book of Ezra, to that plan to rebuild the temple, and would have stopped the work, which wouldn't resume until some uh, 16 years or so later. Daniel, in light of this, comes to God in mourning in the first month of the year, in the springtime on our calendar, and prays. And he earnestly asks God for understanding. He wants to know what's going on. This is what he has been seeking. Verse 12 tells us this. You set your heart on understanding this and humbling yourself before God. And your words were heard, and I have come in response to your words. This vision, as we will see, is the answer to the prayer that Daniel had in light of the circumstances, with the attitude of mourning, and seeking understanding of what was going on, not only then, but as it turns out, for the future. What was going to happen? This has been a recurring theme in the book of Daniel, God revealing the future. And it's something that tells us, that uh, gives us hope because God gives us encouragement about the future. He tells us his plans. He tells us what's going on. He doesn't tell us every detail. I don't think that we necessarily would want to know every detail, even if he would tell us. Uh, I suppose we would if he did reveal it to us. But uh, in the absence of him telling us, perhaps it's best that we don't know. But nonetheless, God gives us hope in the future so that we can be encouraged and so that we can know what he's going to do. This vision then is the answer to this prayer. And uh, in addition to then looking at the introduction last week, uh, there are two more sections here of this chapter that we want to look at. And it begins uh, with the vision of the heavenly being. The vision of the heavenly being. And uh, as you see there, that's a little bit vague. And I'll explain why as we go through this here. But there's a vision that Daniel sees As he is here, starting in verse 4, he's on the 24th day of the first month. He's by the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris. Lo and behold, someone is standing before him. I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, there was a certain man. Before we even get to the description of the man, just notice here this is different than Daniel's previous visions and dreams this is not something that came to him at night this is not something where he's being transported off to a a sort of another place or he is being taken somewhere in his mind as part of the vision but here this man actually shows up right there he sees him he just lifts his eyes and look looks now imagine here is Daniel who is now uh, most likely in his ninth decade alive he is in his 80s according to the the calculation that's most likely Uh, this has not happened to him before this is not the kind of thing that happens to almost anybody throughout the course of recorded history it might be the kind of things that we have nightmares about or that we are scared of um, sometimes or generally speaking for no reason someone simply showing up who would scare us out of nowhere but we don't walk around expecting this Unless maybe we've just read Daniel 10 or watched a scary movie of some kind. But here is Daniel. He's just going about his business. Although he has been praying, this man shows up and he appears. This is unlike what he had 
seen before. I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, there was a certain man dressed in linen, whose waist was girded with a belt of pure gold of Uphaz. What is the description of this man? What is going on with him? This is uh, the description of the vision, verses 5 and 6. Daniel gives a description of what he saw. He saw the man and he was dressed in linen. This was uh, in biblical history often associated with wealth or honor, such as Pharaoh honoring Joseph in Egypt or King Ahasuerus honoring Mordecai in Persia in the book of Esther. The uh, belt of gold, of course, is glorious. This is a valuable and precious element. And not only were what the things that he was wearing of this high state and high status, but also his body itself. Verse 6, his body also was like beryl. His face had the appearance of lightning. His eyes were like flaming torches. His arms and feet like the gleam of polished bronze. Here he appears bright and shining, extremely, extremely visible. He is producing light from himself. Torches, his eyes were like flaming torches. He is reflective, the gemstone of beryl and the gleam of polished bronze. This would have uh, required a very strong pair of sunglasses. Here, Daniel describes the way that he looks in addition to the clothes that he was wearing. And then he describes the sound of his voice. The sound of his words is like the sound of a tumult. There is a loud noise. It's almost chaotic. This certain man is there, and this absolutely blows Daniel away. He describes him so that we can know what he was like. No doubt, there's no way that we can fully picture what was going on here, but these are the things that we need to know to understand just the greatness and the magnificence of this one that Daniel is seeing. And, of course, having seen this, there is a a suitable or an appropriate response to this, and not one really that Daniel even chooses to make, one that he makes just because what would you expect if you see something like this? This is the effects of the vision, verses 7 to 9. What are the effects of it? Well, first of all, his companions run away. Now I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, while the men who were with me did not see the vision. Nevertheless, a great dread fell on them, and they ran away to hide themselves. This is somewhat like the Apostle Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus when the Lord Jesus appeared to him. The men who were with him couldn't see anything, but they heard the words. They were partially restricted from being able to experience the fullness of the vision that was there. Uh, In Genesis chapter 15, it describes a great dread falling as Abraham was receiving the covenant from God. And God, uh, in fact, ultimately caused Abram to go to sleep as God made this covenant with him. There's no direct cause given for their great dread, but it's very clear that this man had this particular impact on him that even though they didn't even see him, they got terrified and ran and hid. Daniel doesn't get to do that. Daniel is left alone and saw this great vision, but he grows weak and he collapses. No strength, he says, was left in me. 
by natural color turned to a deathly power. He grows pale and I have no strength. No strength is left. I retain no strength. All color removed from his skin. This is having a dramatic effect upon his body, upon his physical strength. Verse 9, I heard the sound of his words, and as soon as I heard the sound of his words, I fell into a deep sleep on my face, with my face to the ground. The entire picture is one of being entirely overwhelmed in every sense. Clearly, this man in linen is leaving a great impression upon Daniel. The question then is, who is this man in linen? Who is this man in linen? And there are a couple of questions concerning his identity. One question is, is this the same being as the one that's described starting in verse 10, who gives the vision to Daniel, who speaks with Daniel and responds, and Daniel responds to, and gives the details in chapter 11? Is this the same one? And if this is not the same, has Daniel just seen some vision of God or of Christ in his pre-incarnate form before he came to the earth in the person of Jesus as the God-man. And there are good arguments for both of these perspectives of whether or not this is Jesus before he is born or whether it is not. Um, It is clear from later in the chapter, verse 10 and onward, that that person, from that point forward, that that messenger is not Christ the strongest argument in favor of this position is that this uh, angel or this messenger is someone who needs help from Michael to be able to defeat the angel that he is warring against, to be able to escape. He says um, in verse 13 that I was left there with the kings of Persia. The king of Persia was withstanding me. And then he says in uh, verse 21, that he was, uh, that no one stands with me except Michael, your prince. So here he is describing that he needs Michael's help to actually be able to, uh, to overcome this opposition that he is facing. Now, the, in favor of viewing this as Jesus Christ in verses 4 through 9, you have uh, a few things. Do you notice the parallels between this and uh, another passage that describes the appearance of the risen Christ, what comes to mind? How about Revelation chapter 1? Revelation 1, you can turn there, look at the description. Revelation 1. So, John the Apostle sees a vision. He hears a voice. Verse 12, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet, and girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were white like white wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze when it has been made to glow in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters." In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man, and he placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. 
and the living one. And I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and of Hades. Very clearly here in the book of Revelation, John is referring to none other than the risen Jesus Christ. You have a number of parallels or similar things going on. Their face in Daniel 10 is like the appearance of lightning in Revelation 1. It's like the sun shining at full strength. As to the eyes, in Daniel 10, he says they're like flaming torches. In Revelation 1, John describes Christ as his eyes being like a fiery flame. The arms and the feet, where they are each described, in Daniel 10 are like the gleam of burnished bronze. In Revelation 1, it's like polished bronze refined in a furnace. The words in Daniel 10 are like a roaring crowd. In Revelation 1, it's like the roar of many waters. The clothing in Daniel 10 is a linen garment. Revelation 1 is a robe reaching to the feet. There is girding with, of the loins with gold in Daniel 10 and of the chest with a golden belt in Revelation 1. In both cases, the person who sees this responds with weakness. Daniel had no strength, fell into a deep sleep and his face to the ground. John says, I fell at his feet like a dead man. There are a lot of parallels between these two things with that said there are also a lot of parallels between this and the angel Gabriel in Daniel chapter 8 verse 15 says this when I Daniel had seen the vision I sought to understand it behold standing before me was one who looked like a man and I heard the voice of a man between the banks of Uli and he called out and said Gabriel give this man an understanding of the vision So he came near to where I was standing, and when he came, I was frightened and fell on my face. But he said to me, Son of man, understand that the vision pertains to the time of the end. Now while he was talking with me, I sank into a deep sleep with my face to the ground, but he touched me and made me stand upright. He is not described in as full of a brilliant, shiny detail as in Revelation 1 or even in in Daniel 10. But he does look like a man, and he does cause Daniel to be so frightened that he falls upon his face, which tells us that angels can also have that particular effect. And in fact, this is the case even later in the chapter in Daniel 10 for the one who very clearly is an angel. We find another piece of helpful information in Revelation chapter 10. In Revelation 10, beginning in verse 1, we read this. I saw another strong angel coming down out of heaven, clothed with a cloud, and the rainbow was upon his head, and his face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire, and he had in his hand a little book which was open. He placed his right foot on the sea and his left on the land, and he cried out with a loud voice as when a lion roars. When he had cried out, the seven peals of thunder uttered their voices." When the seven peals of thunder had spoken, I was about to write, and I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up the things which the seven peals of thunder have spoken, and do not write them. And then listen to this, Revelation 10.5. Then the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land lifted up his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things in it, and the earth and the things in it, and the sea and the things in it, that there will be a delay no longer. Here you have an angel described as having face like the sun, feet like pillars of fire. In Daniel chapter 12, if you'd like to turn back there, there is a man in linen. A man in linen. 
Daniel 12, 5. Starting in verse 5, Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others were standing, one on this bank of the river and the other on that bank of the river. And one said to the man dressed in linen who was above the waters of the river, How long will it be until the end of these wonders? I heard the man dressed in linen who was above the waters of the river as he raised his right hand and his left toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, And half a time, as soon as they finish shattering the power of the holy people, all these events will be completed. And so there are lots of similarities here as well that I think you can see between the vision of chapter 10, some similarities to the angel Gabriel in chapter 8, some similarities to the angel in Revelation chapter 10. So it is possible for an angel to share many of these particular things and uh, visual appearances as the risen Christ in terms of their brightness, the overwhelming nature of what you see. It is possible for them to look like a man. It is possible for them to have an effect of knocking down someone when that person sees them. So then, who is it? Ultimately... Daniel doesn't identify him. He is not identified anywhere else, this man dressed in linen. Specifically, we are not told who he is. The, uh, my judgment on this would be that it is most likely some unnamed angel. Not the angel Gabriel, otherwise Daniel, who had seen him in chapter 8 and chapter 9, would have acknowledged this and would have said, the angel Gabriel came to me. At the end of the day... We can't know for sure. If it is God and Christ appearing in this form, then this would be a different person than later in chapter 10. But it is my judgment that the best understanding of this is it's the same person that he saw from the beginning and that this one is one and the same from the appearance to Daniel as a man and then all the way through as the one who reveals the rest of the vision and the details of chapter 11. In addition to all of these things, verse 17 He addresses and says, For how can such a servant of my Lord talk with such as my Lord? There is a state of impressiveness. There is an overwhelmingness of even the one that he is speaking to there that aligns well with what he had seen in this first part of the vision in chapters and verses four through nine. So then, what we have here is definitely someone who is a heavenly being, and I would make the case is most likely to be the same as the heavenly angel who now speaks to him in verses 10 through 21 as well as chapter 11 and verse 1. So then we move on to the message of this heavenly angel, the angel that has now appeared to Daniel, starting in verse 10. Behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. Here we begin to find the reasons for the angel's visit. Why did this angel come. This one who is uh, fighting against these other angels, the prince of the kingdom of Persia and so on, who joins forces with the angel Michael. Why does this angel come to Daniel? And the first reason that we get is in verse 11, in light, he comes in light of Daniel's esteem. He comes in light of Daniel's esteem. He said to me, oh Daniel, man of high esteem, understand the words that I'm about to tell you. And stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. 
Here Daniel is encouraged by the angel, or at least the angel gives him encouragement, and he at least is able to stand up trembling. And the angel tells Daniel that he is someone who is of high esteem. This is someone who is esteemed not only by people, maybe by his peers, maybe not even by his peers, but specifically by God. Daniel receives this vision in part as one who has been esteemed by God. This is what we ought to strive for, to follow his example. Not that we would ever claim to be the kind of righteous and highly esteemable man that Daniel is. But it does tell us that it is possible for men to be those that God would place into this category of highly esteemed. This doesn't mean Daniel was sinless. Doesn't mean that he didn't have to work on things. Doesn't mean that God looked at him and said, you've never done anything wrong. It doesn't mean that he doesn't need a redeemer. What it does mean is that he is a faithful man. Someone that God would actually send a messenger to who would say, Daniel, you yourself are highly esteemed. Now, if we ourselves follow in Daniel's pattern and build our character and develop those things, this is no reason to think that we'll have a similar experience to him where someone will simply show up and begin to give us a heavenly vision of any kind. That's not really at all the message of the text. But he is saying that in this particular case, Daniel, as God's instrument to reveal these future plans for the nations and for Daniel's people, Israel, it is in part because of Daniel's high esteem in the sight of God that Daniel was the one who was chosen to receive this message and whose prayers were answered. He says, Daniel, understand the words that I'm about to tell you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. You need to listen and you need to stand up. You need to grasp what I'm saying and go ahead and stand up so that I can do that. He's been sent in light of Daniel's high esteem. He's also been sent in response to Daniel's prayer, in response to Daniel's prayer. Now, we did look at this to some extent last time because Daniel had been praying for uh, three entire weeks. Verse 3 says he, didn't, he abstained from these certain things for three entire weeks. We also learn in verse 13 that the prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding this angel for 21 days, which, of course, is three weeks. So Daniel had been dedicating himself to this for three weeks. But he says in verse 12 specifically that he has come in response to what Daniel was saying to God. Then he said to me, do not be afraid, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart on understanding this and on humbling yourself before God, your words were heard. And I have come in response to your words. They were heard. They were heard from the beginning of your prayers and they were heard such that I came in response to them. Now, there is obviously something going on here as well with the angels and with the, the reason for his delay in verse 13. The prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me for 21 days. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. For I had been left there with the kings of Persia. We're not going to dive deeply into this this week. This is something we're going to take up in some detail next week. But we do find here that Daniel had had his prayer answered from the beginning. And the reason that it took so long to get the answer was not because Daniel had to convince God over the course of 21 days. Daniel actually had been heard right away. But there was something else that is actually going on. The direct point here is that Daniel asked God for something. Daniel was someone who was a, uh, a humble person before God, a righteous man before God. And God graciously, even though he didn't have to, answered his prayer right from the beginning, decided to answer his prayer right from the beginning, and he sent this information to Daniel as a response to this. So the messenger is there as 
a result of what Daniel requested. Now, um, I think we ought to be careful here to note, this is one of the few times when going to God in prayer for actual information from God is commended. Actual information from God. Um, Daniel sort of did this in chapter 2. He went and he asked God for help so that they wouldn't be killed with all of the other wise men who couldn't answer Nebuchadnezzar's challenge to interpret the dream for him and to tell him the dream. But that was an act of desperation. He was going to God and saying, "What? please just give us a way out. Help us. Um, but in chapter 10, it was clear that he wanted more information. He was going to God as someone who was a seer of visions and dreams. Daniel had unique gifts. And in fact, this is emphasized in the book of Daniel, that he was someone that was specially gifted to actually receive these things. It would not be really appropriate or even wise for the, uh, I guess, the average person of the day, in Daniel's day, to go to God in prayer and to simply expect that God would send the same thing to them. In fact, this is notable as Daniel being the one person that did receive this information and that is told this and that it is why this happened for him. So we need to be careful in taking this and saying, well, this is an example of when we want to know more about something, we should go to God and expect him to reveal information to us. We should pray to God when we want to understand his will, but we go to God and we pray for understanding of what he has already revealed to us. We read in Psalm 119 where the psalmist prays, give me understanding so that I can do your will with all my heart. What is he saying? I want to keep your law. You've already told me what you want me to do, but help me to grasp it. Help me to understand what it means. Give me insight there. We read in Ephesians chapter 1 how the Apostle Paul prays. He has already preached the truth to the Ephesians, but he says in 118, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? And then he goes on to actually detail in writing what those are so that the people will know. He doesn't expect that God is going to tell them just by virtue of his prayer. He either has told them already through divinely revealed truth or he tells them afterward. And then he prays that God would help them to get it. That's what we're praying for. We ask God not for new information, not for additional information. We ask God that he will help us to take what he has revealed in his word through his prophets, through the apostles, through people like Daniel, and to grasp it and to see how it connects to our lives and to see what it means and to understand how it all fits together. This is what we pray for. This is what we ask for. Daniel, as a prophet, though, prayed that God might give him understanding, and he answered in this particularly special way. In this amazing way, by sending this angel to graciously respond to Daniel's humble prayer. And he did come to do that, to give him understanding. This is the third reason why he came, to give Daniel understanding. And it really is the purpose of his coming. The purpose that this angel came for is to give Daniel understanding. Verse 14, now I have come to give you understanding of what will happen. And he has some specific subjects in mind that he's going to talk about i want to give you understanding of what will happen to your people in the latter days 
For this vision pertains to the days yet future. Daniel's people. Who is your people? He is talking about Daniel's nation. He is talking about the same people that he has been talking about the whole time. The vision pertains to Daniel's people, Israel. What is going to happen to them? Now, this is not without ramifications for the other nations. In fact, a lot of what he's talking about here is the impact of other nations upon Israel and toward Israel. And he's going to talk about things, especially when we get to chapter 12, that pertain to all of the nations, including people like you and me. But he is directly addressing the subject of Daniel's people, Israel. That is what he is directly addressing. And he is addressing what will happen to them in the latter days. This is a phrase that we looked at in chapter 2, verse 28 where there is a prediction about the future. This is going forward from here for the rest of history, the latter days. What's going to happen all the way to the end? And he says that the vision pertains to the days yet future. So what's, what he's predicting here has to do with what is going to take place from that point in history. At this point, it looks like 536 B.C. going forward. Now, in our case... Much of what's going on in this prophecy is actually in the past now, which is one of the things that helps us to study it even in a little bit more clear detail when we're trying to find out who some of these people are who were labeled, generally speaking, here. And some detail was given, but we can identify them with some historical figures, which is an amazing thing to see the fulfillment of. But nonetheless, some of these things are in the past from the perspective of uh, our own day, and some of them are still future. So then Daniel here is receiving a message that is about the latter days, or as it also is spoken of in Scripture elsewhere, the end of the days. The end of the days. So he is going to talk about what is coming. Now, just a reminder as well with this. With Jesus having already come to earth, you understand that we are already in what is called the last days. Sometimes people talk about, are we in the last days? Are we in the last days? Well, we may be in the last of the last days because the Lord could return any time. But we are in the latter days ever since these things began to happen. And in particular, Acts 2 indicates that in the last days, certain things will take place. One of them being the Spirit of God being poured out and people having the indwelling Holy Spirit. And so ever since the day of Pentecost, really ever since Jesus Christ came to earth at his first coming we have been in that type of last days and also in the case of the prophecy of Daniel 10 through 12 there are still things coming in the future this does extend all the way past us to the second coming and that's what he says the vision pertains to many days yet future so he tells him just these things and then look what happens let's look at the effect of the angel's visit Verses 15 to 19, when he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and became speechless. And behold, one who resembled a human being was touching my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke and said to him who was standing before me, O my Lord, as a result of the vision, anguish has come upon me, and I have retained no strength. For how can such a servant of my Lord talk with such as my Lord? As for me, there remains just now no strength in me, nor has any breath been left in me. Daniel almost sucking wind as he says these words. He uh, sees this, he hears this, and this one who is before him 
uh, touches him and he opens his mouth and speaks. Daniel loses his strength, but then look what the angel does. Verse 18, then this one with human appearance touched me again and strengthened me. He said, O man of high esteem, don't be afraid. Peace be with you. Take courage and be courageous. Now, as soon as he spoke to me, I received strength and said, may my Lord speak for you have strengthened me. So here, Daniel, having fallen down, having gone face to the ground, is given an encouragement that enables him to then be strengthened and stand up. Don't be afraid. Peace be with you. Be courageous. This theme of strength, by the way, will become a theme that runs throughout this entire prophecy. Um, it's used a number of times in Daniel, this word for strength, being strengthened, and yet it's not used at all until you get right here. There's going to be a lot of strength going on in this section, but it begins with Daniel himself being even just strengthened just to hear the vision in the first place. That's how powerful this message is. That's how significant it is. So he says, don't be afraid. And he takes courage and he stands up and he says, okay, I'm ready. Speak to me. Verses 20 and 21 in chapter 11, verse 1, tell us the last part of this, the outcome of the angel's visit. It is twofold. First of all, after he gives the message, um, he's going to go back. So this is a break from heavenly conflict, a break from heavenly conflict. You say, that sounds pretty crazy and wild and not like anything that we see day to day. Well, you're exactly right. Uh, these are a couple of peaks behind the curtain at angelic activity that's going on. And as I said, we will address this in more detail next time we're together. But for now, he says this. Then he says, do you understand, verse 20, why I came to you? But I shall now return to fight against the prince of Persia. So I'm going forth and behold, the prince of Greece is about to come. However, I will tell you what is inscribed in the writing of truth. He says, No one stands firmly with me against these forces except Michael, your prince. In the first year of Darius the Mede, I arose to be an encouragement and the protection for him. He's describing his own uh, efforts in these kind of heavenly battles that's going on, whatever that may look like. He says, This is what I'm usually about, but I've come here. I've taken uh, sort of a quick time out from that, if you will. I'm going to go back there. But the reason why I did that is because I have, as he says here, a message of truth for Daniel. And this is the outcome. This is the outcome that is most significant. He came to bring a message of truth. I will tell you what is inscribed in the writing of truth. Listen to this language. It draws memories of the book of life that God has, the books that are described in Revelation 20, this kind of inscribed, permanent, written-down content that is going to happen here he says i will tell you what is inscribed in the writing of truth this is not speculation on the angel's part this is not hope so kind of things this is exactly what is going to happen and god is the one who predicts and controls the future is able to say this with 100 percent confidence and accuracy what do we find then in this vision as we prepare to consider what he said what he is going to say to Daniel we learn that God is very involved in history and in the real world he is not distant and far off and unconcerned but he even goes so far as to tell us what will take place he brings things about he is in control there are things going on even in the heavenly realms that we don't even know about that show that God is way more involved 
than we might expect. Again, more on that next time. We can pursue Daniel's example of being someone who is highly esteemed by God, and yet we should be humble before God and as our, in our place as humans, even recognizing that these non-divine creatures, such as angels, are enough to drive us to the ground if we saw them and if they spoke to us in person. And uh, we should be grateful for God revealing this message to us. We're going to move now into a time of communion and the Lord's table. Um, this is a passage that is about the, uh, the kingdom of God in large part. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and continue with my plan, even though, as you may have just uh, heard a little while ago, as Martin prayed, he read Revelation chapter 1, which is exactly where I want us to go again for uh, considering the significance of communion and of the Lord's table. In fact, those very same verses, in particular verses 5 and 6, um, God talks in the book of Daniel about how he is going to bring his kingdom that takes over the world, that is the place where his people will dwell, his redeemed people, and uh, they will be his, and they will rule on his behalf. But it's only a certain group of people who get to be part of that. And it is the group described here in Revelation 1.5. To him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood. And he has made us to be a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. One and the same group. Those of us that he has made to be a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. Those who have been released from our sins by his blood. Those who Jesus loves. Um, it is common and perhaps in some sense, definitely in some sense, it is true, but it's common to think only in this sense or primarily in the sense that Jesus loves everyone and it's kind of a general, generic statement that Jesus simply kind of has an affection for all people. Jesus, while he was on the earth, demonstrated that he was uh, caring toward all. Jesus uh, was grieved over those who rejected him. Jesus does have a love for people who ultimately even will go to judgment. He demonstrated his love for them. But there is a unique and a particular love that he has for those who are his children. And it is those that are featured here in verse 5. To him who loves us, loves us, and released us from our sins by his blood. The scripture often talks about how Jesus died in our place. His death was for us as believers that which takes all our sins away. And he released us from our sins by virtue of his death, his atoning blood. But Jesus did not just love us by that action. Jesus looks at his people and he loves us ongoingly. Jesus released us from our sins by his blood. This is what we think about when we partake of communion about his death on our behalf. But do we think about that and the connection of how Jesus continues to love us? Not by dying again for us. He doesn't have to do that. The book of Hebrews is clear. He does it once for all. He doesn't have to repeat it ever again. 
But he does continue to love us. And it may be very difficult for some of us to remember this because we're overwhelmed by our sin, because we know that we want to have a standard of pleasing him. We know that we want to do what's right before God. But this is simply a statement of what is definitively true. Even as so many of these churches in Revelation 2 and 3 that were receiving this book were challenged to repent of certain things, to improve in certain things, to grow. Nonetheless, it is true that John includes them in this statement that he loves us. He loves us. And this is what communion tells us, that we who belong to Jesus Christ are loved by him everlastingly. And we will be part of that kingdom. He has made us to be a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. And we will all find ourselves when God brings about this ultimate rule. We will be part of this. And we are even now his own citizens of that kingdom. This is where our citizenship is, Philippians 3 tells us, in heaven from which we wait for his son, Jesus Christ, who is going to come and going to transform us 